Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Being prepared to be disciple makers means that we know who our audience is. We know the kind of people that we have been called to work with. And so up until this point in this series, we've seen Jesus take the mission to the wayward, that there are people who have once walked with Jesus who are no longer walking with him, that he wants us to go out and reach them again with the message of the gospel, that there are people around us also, not just the wayward, but the broken, whose lives are entrapped in sin. They're in turmoil. Their lives are turned upside down, and they need the saving word of Jesus Christ. You are surrounded by people who are, who are also exhausted. So we've got wayward, we've got broken, we've got exhausted people. These are people that are running at the highest RPMs in their life, seeking all from these different avenues to find some semblance of meaning and purpose in their life, and they've yet to find it. And to these exhausted people that are churning and churning and churning, we want to offer the answer of Jesus. And last week we learned that this mission also goes to those who seem like outsiders that the creation of this idea of insiders and outsiders that those who get it and those who don't get it is not divided amongst just people who look like each other or think like each other or act like each other but the only real insiders are those who are in Jesus Christ and if you're in Jesus Christ you once were an outsider outside of the promise of God and now we're inside with him today we're going to shift just a little bit to this story in John chapter 6 and our mission that we're going to see, the people that we're going to take the mission to today are the mission to the misguided is what we're going to call it. The misguided. What I mean by that is those who have the wrong idea about Christianity. Those who might be sniffing around Christianity, might be interested in Christianity, but don't have the right idea about what Christianity really is. Or maybe those who have turned off from Christianity and said, I'm not really interested, but they've turned away from Christianity a kind of Christianity that's not really what Jesus is really all about. You see, our situation in the time in which we live is unique, but it's a great opportunity for us. The misguided people today that we are experiencing are not the kind of people that are misguided because they have very little or no experience with Christianity. There are mission fields right now, like in Asia and Africa, where there are missionaries walking into situations like communities and homes and towns introducing Jesus Christ and for the first time there are people hearing an alternative message that they have not heard before. That's not necessarily what we're experiencing in America. What we're more experiencing is people not with never hearing the message but actually having the wrong kind of experience with the message. Did you know Barna just finished a research study at the end of this year, pardon me, at the end of last year, um, where they researched basically the highest percentage cities that were what they call post-Christian. Now, if you haven't heard of the phrase post-Christian, let me explain quickly what it is. Post-Christian are people who have heard about Jesus Christ, who are familiar with some idea of Christianity, but no longer identify themselves with it. It's called post-Christian. And Columbus, Ohio, actually, Columbus, Ohio right now, has a population of 40% of people 40% of the people in Columbus, Ohio, fall into the category of post-Christian. 
Now, here's how this is different than those who just check the box. Because, you know, if you fill out informational forms, people ask you what kind of religion you are. And many people will just check Christian or Roman Catholic or Protestant. And, you know, right now the stats are something like 86% of people in America say that they're Christian, you know, because they just check the box. But this survey went out and asked people like, when's the last time that you've gone and been involved in a local church? How frequent do you pray? What do you regard the Bible to be? What do you think about the Bible? Um, are you giving any money to a local body, a local church, a local charity? They ask questions like that, and 40%, 40% of the population in our metropolitan area now fall into the category of those who know exactly what they think about Christianity, but no longer want to ad- identify with it. They've separated from it. They're post-Christian. They're done with a kind of Christianity that I actually would like them to be done with too. You see, what they have in their minds about Christianity is money-hungry preachers, control-hungry leaders, and power-hungry politicians. That's what people identify Christianity to be with in America, that it's just preachers who want money, people who want to control their lives, and people who just want to get their political vote on their side. That's all Christianity is. And what we're going to find out today is that Jesus actually has a message about Christianity that is much different, that that idea of Christianity is misguided. And we've got to present a better message of Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to learn from these people that come to Jesus about the direction of what misguided people come at, where they come from. We're going to see what they're looking for, and then ultimately we're going to see how Jesus brings the declaration of his message to them in a very clear and precise way. So let's start, first of all, with the direction of the misguided. Now, this group of people that come to Jesus, we drop into the story in verse 25, and they come to the other side. That means they cross the lake, the sea, and they come to the other side and they find Jesus. But on the other side, they were the very people who were fed by Jesus just the day before. There were about 5,000 men, so probably between 12 and 15,000 people were gathered together, and they were hungry. And from five loaves of bread and two fish, Jesus fed about 15,000 people. Pretty impressive, right? And they're like, wow, this is incredible. This is amazing. And they are happy because their bellies are full. They got to eat fish, not just bread or rice. They got to eat fish, which is meat. That's a nice thing. And they're excited about it. And they know that night that the disciples left on a boat and went without Jesus. Jesus was off by himself praying. And the disciples went across without him. And they knew that there was only one boat. They wake up the next day, they're looking for Jesus, he's not there, and they know that there's only one boat, but they know they didn't go with the disciples, they say, where is he? So finally, they catch a ride to the other side, and they find him there, and they come and you see in verse 25, they want to know some things with Jesus. So let's start with what they come to Jesus with. The first problem that they have is in verses 25 to 27, where they come to Jesus and they are what you might call temporary in their thinking. You see in verse 25, they found him on the other side. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And he answers them this. Listen, guys, you're seeking me not because you saw the sign that I performed yesterday and you believe in me, but you are coming after me. You are seeking me. You are wanting to connect with me because you ate food and your belly's now full. You see, they were temporary in their thinking. They come to Jesus not because of the sign, 
but because he was feeding them. In fact, we see at the end of the story, um, when he fed them that day, that at the end of the day, they wanted to make him their king. They wanted to get him and say, you be our king. Now, they're smart people. They wanted, a guy to have, have, they wanted a guy to be king who would feed them every day. Sounds like a good king, right? Just give me food every day. This works out for me. Maybe I won't have to work as much, and my king will feed me every day. That's what they want. You see, they're not in awe of him. They're not wanting to follow him because of him. They're wanting him because he's given them some food. They came because they liked their hunger being taken care of. And Jesus says to them, listen, you're missing the point. I am way more to you than just temporary relief of hunger or short-term gifts. I'm way more than that. You see, this belief that Jesus, all he serves is just our temporary needs or all he does is relieve our temporary problems is a misguided understanding of Christianity. Now, the problem with this particular misguidance is that it's actually promoted sometimes within the Christian world. There are teachers right now that teach the sort of health and wealth is what they call it kind of gospel that says that if you sow a seed of $100, you'll return a 1000 And if you come to Jesus, you won't have problems and everything else will be taken care of. And if you send me $100, I'll mail you a handkerchief. And if you rub this handkerchief on you, you'll be healed. What they're promoting is that Jesus solves only and mainly temporary pain and not really the deeper issue. See, this false teaching, people like Joel Osteen and Creflo Dollar and many others who teach on many times on the TV, really hurt people. And it's not just false teaching, but it's also false expectations. And what they come to with Jesus is an expectation that he'll just satisfy the temporary thing that they want. And Jesus says, I am so much more. So the first misguidance that we have is being temporary in our thinking. The second one is this, when we trust only in our work. Now, you notice as Jesus presses on them to value the things that are most important and go after what really matters, saying, I'm not just here just to fill your bellies, but I'm actually here for your soul. They ask the obvious question. Okay, if you got something for me that is really good, if you want me to have more, what are the things that I have to do to make this happen? They say down in verse 29, um, pardon me, verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do? What things must we be doing to work the works or do the works of God? And Jesus answered them, here is the work. They asked plural, what are the works? What are the things that we have to do to get this life from you and from God? And Jesus says, here is the work. Here is the work. He says, you have to believe in the one that God has sent. You see, people get misguided when coming to Christ Oftentimes they're intrigued by the offer when Jesus promises life and joy and peace, when he promises things like eternal life, and they're intrigued by the offer. They're even convicted by the problem. But what happens most often is when people come to Jesus and they're intrigued by the offer, even convicted by the problem, is that they begin to try to solve that problem by themselves. And the heart of Christianity is that you cannot produce the kind of gifts that you need nor can you produce a fix for the problem that you have. The heartbeat of Christianity is that you have to trust somebody outside yourself. And when people come to Christianity, they're oftentimes misguided saying, I hear your teachings, but how do I fix it? Self-serving, self-sacrificing, but also really self-sufficient. How do I fix it? And Jesus says, pause. 
This thing, Christianity, this thing following me is actually you trusting that I'm the one that fixes it. And I'm the one that gives it to you. So let me give you the third one. They're temporary in their thinking. They're trusting in their works. The direction of the misguided is also they test by their standards. Let me explain what I mean by this. These guys are drawn into Jesus. And so when they're drawn into Jesus saying, okay, you offer bread for eternal life, and you're telling me that what I've got to do is believe in the one whom God has sent. I've got to trust the one that God is sending. So then they start to test the one that God has sent. So I'm supposed to trust this one that God has sent. Let me put him to the test. And they start to test him by a standard they hold that makes a leader trustworthy. They've got a standard. They say, okay, what sign do you have? You ever wonder why they say, what sign do you have? Literally, where were they like 18 hours ago? <laughs> Sitting with 15,000 people like, you know, like an NBA basketball game. And one guy is there with a couple pieces of bread and he's feeding everybody. They still say, okay, what sign do you have? What do you bring to prove to us that you are a leader and a teacher that is trustworthy? They've got some standards by which they're now testing Jesus to see if he's trustworthy. And here's the standard. They said, Moses was a trustworthy leader because he gave the people bread every day. So every day the Israelites woke up, Moses, their leader, gave them manna, bread from heaven. And so people could trust Moses because every day he was delivering bread to them so they knew they could trust him. And here's what Jesus says. He draws back and he says this, you can't compare me to Moses. Testing me according to the way that you tested Moses is all wrong because I'm way more than Moses. I'm not like Moses. I made Moses. And I don't just give bread in a wafer from heaven. I am the maker of bread. In fact, the bread that Moses gave your fathers in the wilderness was not just from Moses. It was from me. What he's saying is I'm greater than him. I'm more than him. I made the teacher. I made the bread. Now, here's some current standards that people sort of hold Jesus up to. When you say, okay, here's what Jesus offers. He says you've got to learn to trust him. If you're going to have what he offers, here's some of the typical objections or the tests that people put Jesus to. Well, first they say, well, okay, I hear some of his teachings, but I disagree with some of his teachings. I agree with some and I disagree with some. So according to the teachings test, they say, I'm not sure he's trustworthy. Now, here's the reality about Jesus's teachings. In every place, in every culture, in every point in history, the teachings of God confront some of your beliefs and comfort some of your beliefs always let me show you an example here in america right now the teachings of jesus on social justice and caring for the poor and equality of human beings is something that our culture actually cherishes in fact people who are not even religious say jesus is a great teacher on social justice but they hate his teachings on sexual ethics Now, if you travel across the globe about 12,000 miles to the Far East, in that culture right now today, they love the teachings of Jesus on sexual ethics, but don't have much to do with what he says about social justice. Do you see that? Wherever you go and every time and every place, there are some teachings of Jesus that confirm what you believe, but there are some that are going to confront you. And if you judge Jesus, whether you should trust him or not, based upon whether you agree with his teachings or not, who actually is God in that scenario? And here's the reality. Jesus doesn't start with his teachings to say, see if I'm a good teacher. He starts with his identity. 
Because there are things about Jesus that you will not agree with. Maybe you agree with his sexual ethics teaching. Maybe you agree with his social justice. But you will find a point in Jesus' life where your behavior does not match up to his teaching. And the question at that moment is not, do I agree with him? The question is, do I actually think he's God? And if you think he's God, regardless of how you feel about his teachings, you learn to submit to it. Another big test that people put Jesus up to is, well, I would be a Christian, but his people are a bunch of hypocrites. You know, Jesus is his perfect guy and they hold up this perfect savior, but his people aren't perfect. Gandhi was the one who said, popular, it became popular, Gandhi who said, you're Christ I like, it's your Christians that I don't like. And that standard, meaning like, okay, if you say this guy is perfect, but his people aren't perfect, that's a misunderstanding of Christianity. Those who are Christians are actually the ones who first say, I'm not perfect. I'm here because I'm not perfect. I'm here because I fail. I'm here because I fall short. I'm here because I actually need him. And so the standard that says I would be a Christian if your Christians were perfect misunderstands Christianity. Do you see that? Thirdly, people say his claims about creating the world, being God, being Savior, being perfect, dying and raising again, his claims are outrageous. And to that, all I can say is they are. They really are. And that's when you come and you examine the man, you look at his life, you examine all that he has to say, and you wonder, but can I believe them? So if you see the direction of these misguided, there you go, pardon me. They are misguided because they're temporary in their thinking, they're trusting in their work, and they're testing by their standards. And these are the common ways that people are misguided about Christianity. You've got to be ready to teach to these misunderstandings. But secondly, you see, they have a desire. Look down in verse 34, it says, They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And one thing that's important for you to note about people that are misguided. Now, they may come across at times maybe um, a little bit aloof or maybe sometimes arrogant. They may come across a little bit confrontational. But what's interesting about those who are misguided is that they actually are seeking people. Do you see, they actually have respect. Look what they say to Jesus. They say, sir, sir. They call him Lord in a respectful way. They're not disrespectful towards Jesus. They see Jesus and his offer and what he's trying to say about life. And they're at least intrigued by it, but they're just not sure exactly what he means. But they don't just have respect. They also have requests. They say, will you give us this bread? Meaning, I want the offer. Jesus said that there is a bread that gives zoe, that gives life. And that word zoe, when Jesus said life, is not just the word bios, which means a heart that beats or lungs that breathe. When he says zoe, what he's saying is a fullness of life that is good, a life that is enjoyable, a life that is right, a life that has purpose. And they say, I want this life. But they say also, I want it always. I want it continually. I don't want this bread just once like yesterday. I don't want it for just 40 years like Moses gave it. I want this bread forever. Now they're smart. You see, they want what Jesus is offering. They just don't know how to get it. Their desire is right, but their direction is wrong. And that brings us to the final point in verse 35. The declaration to the misguided. What you actually have to say to them. Now, the misguided are interested. They're asking questions. They don't quite understand. They've got things like temporary thinking or trusting in their works or standards by which they're testing Jesus that aren't accurate. 
But they are seeking. They do have a desire. And so we've got to make a declaration to them. And the first thing that the misguided need is clarity. Look what Jesus says in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Now up to this point, he has hinted at it. He's saying, you're going to have to believe in the Son of Man. Third person. You're going to have to trust in the one to whom God has sent. He's going to say, you're going to have to come and eat bread that I give you, that is eternal. He's hinted to this point multiple times. But he gets down to verse 35 and he gets very explicit and very clear. He says, I am the bread. Now here's where it gets difficult in sharing your faith. Many of us are probably comfortable hinting at the idea that Jesus can solve problems. We're we're, we're okay sort of staying staying in the safe zone of making mention of how Jesus can kind of help or how we need to, quote, get our lives right and maybe do things differently. And we can hint at things to people. But there comes a point when you have to be explicit and clear that the answer is Jesus. So, for example, you're sitting at work and you next to it, maybe you got a neighbor at your work who has complained about things for years and you try to give advice and you try to give some counsel and you try to sort of guide them in the right direction and make some hints about maybe, maybe religion, maybe Christianity might help. There will come a point when you have to look at them and say, listen, the expectation you have for this or the desire you have for that or the thing you want here, what you really need is an answer inside of Jesus Christ. And those things actually won't ever give it to you. You're going to have to hit a moment when you get clear with people about the answer of Jesus Christ. Misguided people need clarity, not more ambiguity. There are times for us to hint, and there are times for us to be clear that Jesus Christ is the answer. But the misguided not just need clarity, the misguided need hope. This kind of hope that they have, you see Jesus says it in two ways. Verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You see, he gives them a kind of security, a kind of idea that their future is secure. But he also gives them a satisfaction. Look at the end of verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You see, in Jesus Christ, every desire finds its ultimate satisfaction. Your meaning in life that you're looking for, found in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness that you're longing for from people really is found in Jesus Christ. The fresh start that people want in their lives, found in Jesus Christ. The unconditional love that people are begging for from others, found in Jesus Christ. All these desires, all these wants in the heart of human beings are actually finally solved, ultimately, in Jesus Christ. And he gives us satisfaction and security to know that we can have it. But it ultimately comes down to this in verse 36. That the misguided, once given redirection and clear declaration of who Jesus is and what he offers, must make a decision. This decision is not just an external compliance to behavior. Maybe I need to go to church or I need to read or I need to pray. It is something deeper. In verse 36, he says, I said to you that you have seen me. You have seen me. And yet you do not believe. You see, once you see Jesus, once you know who he is, once you understand his proclamation, his identity, and his sacrifice for you, once you see him, you are going to have to make a decision. Do I trust him or do I not? 
There may be actually many people in this room right now who are practicing Christianity but are very misguided. Maybe you're here because you're under some social contract, like you've got to satisfy your parents or a spouse, or maybe you're afraid of what people will say if you stop coming. Or maybe you're here because you're holding out for a misguided hope that really isn't what Christianity promises. Maybe you've got to actually come back to what Christianity really is, which is a God who made you and designed you for himself, that you might enjoy a kind of relationship with him that frees you to serve selflessly the world for the rest of your life, to give of yourself, not to always get. And we have broken that design through our desire to be our own gods and our rebellion and sin. And yet, because of his sheer mercy and grace, he was willing to send Jesus Christ. And Jesus was willing to come, not only to die for you, but to raise back to life for you, to reconcile you to that Father, to restore your life to its purpose, so that you might live the kind of way that you were designed to live. If you see that and understand it, you've got a decision to make. Do I believe that or do I not? And Jesus wants you to make that kind of decision. Are you in or are you out? Let us be people who know how to minister to the misguided. And if we are the misguided, let's fix that right now as we stand and sing.